Well, we go into this chapter of actual blessings and cursings. This is a more extensive explanation of what are the blessings of covenant obedience and what are the cursings of covenant disobedience. Chapter uh, 28, verses 1 to 14. So it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, Yahweh your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, if you will obey Yahweh your God. Blessed shall shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of your ground, and the offspring of your beasts the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. Yahweh will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and shall flee before you seven ways. Yahweh will command the blessing upon you in your barns, and in all that you put your hand to do. And he will bless you in the land which, the, which Yahweh your God gives you. <coughs> Yahweh will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he swore to you, if you will keep the commandments of Yahweh your God and walk in his ways. So all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of Yahweh, and they shall be afraid of you. And Yahweh will make you abound in prosperity to the offspring of your body, and to the offspring of your beast, and to the produce of your ground, and the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers to give you. Yahweh will be open for, will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land in its season, and to bless all, you, all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And Yahweh shall make you the head and not the tail. And you only shall be above, and you shall not be underneath. And you will listen to the commandments of Yahweh your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully. And do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods. I think that sounds pretty awesome, don't you? (laughs) You know, if you obey, here's what you have. And it's wonderful. You know, you're blessed in the city and in the country. You have fruitfulness for the man, the land, the animals. Household necessities are provided. Blessings in all your daily activities. You are blessed in terms of conquering your enemies. Of abundance in your barns. You have a name that people glorify. Uh, God opens the heavens for you and blesses you, gives you rain. You will not borrow, you will lend because you have more than everyone else does. You're the head and not the tail. But the conditions are you have to obey. And if he wants to summarize obedience, it's you listen to the commands and observe them carefully. You know, that's kind of another uh, uh, takeoff on this uh, idea of being careful too. And not turning aside and going after other gods to serve them. Really... The essence of the relationship with God then is obedience to what he says. Have disobedience, it's going after other gods. 
That's the summary of what God expects, and here are the abundance of blessings that he will give. It is worth it to serve God. He, he wants to bless us. He, he's eager to load us up with things that, that are for our well-being, but they depend on the obedience. That's what he told me. Comments and thoughts on this. You got the other side. And the other side's a lot longer. And I assume that's because there's a lot greater uh, probability that they will disobey than that they will obey. So he's got more to say on this side because it's going to be more relevant to them. 16 to 19. About 15. Yeah, 15 to 19, that is better. But it shall come about if you will not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Curse shall be shall you be in the city, and curse shall you be in the country. Curse shall you be your basket and your kneading bowl. Curse shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground, the increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Curse shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. Now, what you see is here's what happens if you don't obey in verses sixteen and not to nineteen are very parallel to what we were seeing in verses 3 through 6. A little different order, but the same basic idea. You're cursed in all these different places, uh, in all these different ways, if you don't obey. 20 to 26. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration in all that you undertake to do until you are destroyed and perish quickly on account of the evil of your deeds because you have forsaken me. The Lord will make the pestilence stick to you until he has consumed you off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heart and with drought and with blight and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish. And the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And you shall be a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth. And there shall be no to frighten them away. Okay, think about what he's saying here. Uh, all sorts of terrible things, curses and confusion will overtake them. Uh, disease, uh, plague will overtake them in verse 21. Look at verse 22. How many different things does he mention? The Lord will smite you with consumption, fever, inflammation, fiery heat, sword, blight, mildew. Are you surprised? <coughs> Seven things. You know, the complete uh, amount of, of curse. Um, he says that the uh, heaven will become bronze, which means what? The rain. The rain can't get through. And the ground under you will be iron, which means what? Yeah, the plants can't grow up through it. You know, so barrenness. Uh, the rain uh, will be powder and dust. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a, just a, a dust bowl, a desolate, arid land. They'll be defeated before their enemies. They'll be just completely routed in a disorganized chaos. And instead of Israel feasting as they would be if they're obedient, they will be the feast. For who? 
Yeah, for the vultures and the uh, the beasts of the earth uh, who will have a feast on God's people who are disobedient to Him. Comments and questions. Aaron. When we see all the news on like in the Middle East and things, I just have to say, from my perspective, I don't look at the land of Israel more as a land flowing with milk and honey. Do you think that's maybe a result? That's evidence of all these years of nations warring against one another and and God casting them out of the land? Maybe so. It's always hard to say exactly what's a result of what. Yeah. And the Jews are spread all over the world at this point. Uh, but, but certainly, you know, in the time period of the Old Testament, we see exactly these curses taking effect. You know, you can actually just think about different ones. And you can think about periods in Israel's history where you see them happening. For example, the drought. When do you remember God punishing their disobedience with drought? Yeah, in the days of Ahab. Or other times too. Uh, but in the days of Ahab, you know, Elijah prayed and didn't rain for three years and six months. Why? Because Ahab and the people were idolatrous. They were disobedient to God. God brought the covenant curse upon them. You can take almost any of these curses, and you can see either times where those curses took effect, historically. Well, I'll tell you another thing you can see a lot in the prophets. When the prophets are telling the people how sinful they are and threatening judgment, the judgments they speak are uncannily like the curses of these covenant of the covenant. It's amazing that they 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 warn about exactly the things that God said in Deuteronomy would happen if they're disobedient. Maybe that shouldn't be so surprising to us, but uh, that is what they do. In fact, some people consider the prophets to be almost like the preachers of the covenant. That's ex- that's what they were doing more or less. They were telling the people obey what's here, and if you don't. What will happen is exactly what God said was going to happen if you were disobedient. So really, these things, the fulfillment, can be traced all through the rest of the Old Testament. Seth? Isn't that similar to what John does in the book of Revelation? Doesn't I, I mean, he repeats many of these, including the birds and the sure. sword, famine, plague. Yeah, many of these are judgment kinds of things that God uses in any kind of a judgment. These are some of the uh, weapons in his arsenal, perhaps. Tim? I was going to say this whole idea in verse um, 22, or, yeah, 22 of Peter, inflammation, sword, and mildew pursuing you, hunting after you, is the same idea that's used in the 23rd Psalm with goodness and mercy. It's so much better to have the Lord be your shepherd. Yeah, it's better to be pursued by uh, the Lord's blessing. Chris? It's just amazing what God can use, though, as a blessing or a curse. I mean, you think back to the ten plagues, you think of a little frog, and yet that became the plague. What I'm seeing here is the people running, screaming for their lives, being pursued by mildew. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, it gets bad enough, but yeah, you're right. God, God has uh, big and small weapons at his disposal, and he you know, uses them very effectively. Good point. Austin. Something I see, you know, you, you talked about how small the blessings were and then how broad the curses are in the description of those. You know, God's goodness, that it's indescribable, right? You, you can't 
say enough about God's goodness, and this book can't contain all of God's goodness, but to be absent of God's goodness, that's very descriptive. And we need to be mindful of that when we think in terms of, of our sin and in terms of heaven and hell and those rewards. Again, heaven's not describable in, in a good sense, but hell we can understand. We can understand pain and suffering and loss. And, and I think that's why there's so much more emphasis put on the curses. Not necessarily that God thinks they're going to head down that path, because God doesn't want that for any of us. He wants the goodness but we can't describe God's goodness to, to the extent that it needs to be described. Yes, and, and you know, sometimes God, you know, resorts to these physical kinds of descriptions because they're what we can relate to and understand. Other comments and thoughts? Okay, I think we're going to take a break for about 15 minutes here. And when we chapter 28, we are looking at the uh, curses that occur for disobedience. Would somebody read 27 to 35? The Lord will strike you with boils of Egypt, with tumors, with a scab and the itch, from which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways. You shall be only oppressed and plundered continually, and no one shall save you. You shall betroth a wife, but another man shall lie with her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but shall not gather its grapes. Your ox shall be slaughtered before your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before you, and you sh- and shall not be restored to you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall have no one to rescue you. Your sons and your daughters shall be given to another people, and your eyes shall look and fail uh, with longing for them all day, and there shall be no strength in your hand. A nation whom you have not known shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed continually. So you shall be driven mad because of the sight which your eyes see. The Lord will strike in you the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed, and from the sole of your foot to the top of your head. You see kind of a pattern here. He talks about in 27, the incurable diseases, the madness in 28, the oppression that they're going to receive in 29. You see in 30, 31, and 32, these frustration curses. You know, they do the work and they don't get the benefit. You betroth the, uh, the wife, but somebody else has it. You build the house, you don't live in it. You plant the vineyard, but you don't eat the fruit. That kind of thing, the futility curses. Then you go back to the oppression in verse 33, the madness in verse 34, and the incurable disease in verse 35. Just from, from one end to the other, there will be punishment and curse. There will be God's judgments upon these who do not obey the covenant. And uh, again, you could trace many of these out through <laughs> Old Testament history. Comments and questions on this section. When these are easy to understand, it's easy to know what they're saying. So I'd like, we'll just move on and, and keep thinking about these ideas. 36 to 48. The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you set over you, to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there. 
there you will serve other gods, wood and stone. And you should become a horror, a proverb, and a taunt among, taunt among the people where the Lord will drive you. You shall bring out much seed to the field, but you shall gather in little, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant and cultivate vineyards, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall devour them. You shall have olive trees throughout your territory, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, for your olives shall drop off. You shall have sons and daughters, but they shall not be yours, for they shall go into captivity. The cricket shall possess all your trees and the produce of your ground. The alien who is among you shall rise above you higher and higher, but you shall go down lower and lower. He shall lend to you, but you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. So all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed, because you would not obey the Lord your God by keeping his commandments and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall become a sign and a wonder on you and your descendants forever, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies, whom the Lord shall send against you, in hunger and thirst and nakedness and in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. Doesn't sound like exactly what we want, does it? You know, he will cause us to be serving a nation uh, that, that we haven't known, a place where we can worship the other gods that, that they so much wanted to worship. Uh, everybody will look down on them. Uh, they will work hard and have nothing to show for it. Again, this idea of the significant expenditure of labor, but no real results. God causes them to have futility. They go into captivity. Uh, the, the foreigner rises higher and higher. They go lower and lower. You know, you won't have anything to land. You'll have to be lent to. Uh, these curses will chase you and overtake you because you haven't obeyed. Uh, kind of like a relentless predator uh, who's, who's seeking you because you didn't serve God. You didn't do what God wanted. Therefore, you're going to serve. You'll serve your enemies. Uh, and he will put a, a iron yoke on your neck. Uh, until you're destroyed. Just all kinds of ways of looking at the terrible consequences of disobedience. You know, they disobey, remember, by not doing what God says and by worshiping other gods. They worshiped other gods so they would gain success and prosperity and fruitful land, lots of rain, things like that. And it's precisely what they didn't get because they worshiped those other gods. When we So often, we think that doing something that to us we can see and seems logical will guarantee our success. But the thing that brings success for us is serving the Lord. You know, all these other things that look so impressive, we entrust ourselves to them and we make an idol out of them. They aren't the things that give success. God does. And if only the, this nation of Israel had been willing to learn the lesson, if they could have listened to this and followed it, think about how different their history could have been. Comments or questions? Alex. You know, even if Israel had been able to get success, if they didn't obey the Lord, the Lord could bring upon destruction just as easily. I mean, you can't really prevent the worms from eating your graves. You cannot stop the Lord's judgment, even if you can get temporary success. Amen. The Lord trumps anything we try to do, Melvin. Um, I mean, I don't know if anyone else has ever related to this, but like, as, a, as a student and stuff, I, I've, I've got to a point where I've made school an idol. I focused so much on school and stuff like that, and, and it ended up affecting my grades. But then I remember times where, where I've had God as a priority, 
and maybe I didn't study as much, but in class I would be able to understand information a lot better, and at the end of the day I would be able to do better at school, even though I wasn't studying as much in school and I, and I don't anymore, I was focusing more on God. So a lot of the times we can learn to do, we can learn to succeed and, and do better in, in other things by putting God as a priority first of all. You know, I'm absolutely the one who's in control is the Lord. If we really believe that, then we serve the Lord. We seek Him. Not always will the results be exactly what we would have charted out for ourselves, but they're always the right thing and the best thing. If we love the Lord and dedicate ourselves to Him. That's our goal. We've got to remember who He is. Other thoughts, comments? Yes? When you read this, you see how this is exactly what happens in Judges. Like the people just get oppressed over and over again. And in, in Judges 6, when the angel comes to Gideon and says, well, the Lord's with you. And he says, well, why has this all happened if the Lord is with us? And we see, well, it's obvious because you disobeyed. And we can see that so easily in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, when we do things and don't live a godly life or turn away from God, sometimes we'll still be frustrated with God and say, why has this happened to us and feel the same way? And so we're no different than they were back then. Yeah, it's pretty outrageous when we don't serve God and then we blame Him for punishing us. <laughs> you know, what, what would we have expected? Kind of reminds you of later in Judges when in Jephthah's day the people cried out to God. God said, well, just turn to your gods and let Him deliver you. You know, you love Him so much, why don't you turn to them? Josh? Yeah, I like verse 47. It says, because you do not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart. It's not, it's not good enough to just serve Him. You have to, you have to do it if you want to. And when we don't, we cut corners and we don't really serve Him. Yeah. Other thoughts? Yeah, Aaron. Um, in verse 36 where he talks about, or verse 37 where he talks about them becoming a, a horror and a, a byword among the people. You can't help but think about later when they go into exile and, and Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about the other nations looking at them going, what happened here, you know, and you know, uh, knowing that the Lord of that people was displeased with them. Uh, and we have to be careful that we don't do the same thing in the church. In like Second Peter 2, two when false prophets bring blasphemy on God and the church because it seems like they do. The people who wear God's name can most easily lead to God being blasphemed by not living like God wants us to. Romans 2.24 talked about that with the Jews. Good point. Other thoughts? Yes? When I talked to Joshua, he said, you be careful to do all I command, and then you will have success. Exactly. Yep. Other thoughts? Patrick? Um, we definitely see this played out throughout the Old Testament, but how do we how do we justify like these statements with things that Jesus says, like the sun will rise on the wicked and the righteous? Well, there is no doubt that God gives abundant blessings to those who don't deserve it, and there are many times even when wicked people are given a lot of blessings to try to bring them to the Lord, the Lord may sometimes be a little quicker to judge those who are His people because they have a greater responsibility. But, but God, you know, God never really punishes as promptly and as fully as what the sin would deserve. He gives a lot of blessing trying to bring people to Him. 
Other thoughts? Uh, 49 to 57. This is this will curl your hair if you haven't read this. One. 49 to 57. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you don't understand, a hard-faced nation who shall not respect the old or show mercy to the young. It shall eat the offspring of your cattle and the fruit of your ground until you are destroyed. It shall not leave you grain, wine, or oil, the increase of your herds or the young of your flock until they have caused you to perish. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout your land. And they shall besiege you in all your towns throughout all your land which the Lord your God has given you. And you shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters whom the Lord your God has given you. And the siege and the distress which your enemies shall distress you. The man who is the most tender and refined among you will begrudge food to his brother, to the wife he embraces, and to the last child whom he has left, so that he will not give to any of them any of the flesh of his children whom he is eating, because he has nothing else left in the siege and in the distress which your enemies shall distress you in all your towns. The most tender and refined woman among you, who would not venture to set the sole of her foot on the ground because she is so delicate and tender, will begrudge to the husband she embraces, to her son and to her daughter, her afterbirth that comes out between her feet, and her children whom she bears, because she is lacking every because lacking everything, she will eat them secretly, in the siege and in the distress which your enemy shall distress you in your town. That is pretty wild. You know, the the curses of the covenant lead to this foreign nation, distant, swift. They speak a language you don't understand, so you can't negotiate, you can't beg for mercy. They are fierce, they're brutal, they're thorough, and they will eat your food. They'll eat everything, and they'll besiege your cities. And of course, when they besiege a city, they blockade it and starve it out. Eventually, you start eating up the food stockpiled, warehoused in the city, and you don't have anything else to eat. The food prices start going up astronomically, and the supply gets scarcer and scarcer. And this has to be one of the most uh, incredible pictures in the Bible of these cruel men and women who refused to share the flesh of their offspring with their relatives. Uh, they want to hoard it for themselves to eat. You know, just uh, incredible to think about somebody secretly depriving his husband or wife of his good fortune in cooking his own child to eat. And even the women, the refined and delicate women, the women who wouldn't even touch the ground with their foot. You know, they'd insist on having a shoe on are, are, are eating their children in secret so they don't have to share them with their husband. You know, he mentions the cannibalism here so casually, it's almost like he's taking it for granted. And just just shocking picture. He's trying to shock them. He's saying, this is what happens ultimately when you don't obey the Lord. There were examples like that. You remember that cannibalistic contract in 2 Kings 6 that the one woman 
cooked her son and she and her neighbor ate him one day, but then the neighbor hit her son so she wouldn't fulfill, fulfill her end of the bargain the next day. Those kind of things are just outrageous. Why wouldn't they have obeyed God? When you listen to all of these things, why would anybody want to defy the Lord and resist? It would be so much better for them in every way to do what God says. Why do we? How many times do we know this is what we ought to do? But we don't do it. We know what we shouldn't do, but we do it anyway. You know, we know the consequences. We know the judgments. We've got the benefit of all this history of God's dealing with His people. <clears throat> it doesn't make sense with God offering so much to obey and there being such dreadful consequences of disobedience. Why wouldn't we submit? Comments and thoughts? The well, obvious think... answer to that is, you know, we, we don't get to that point instantly, right? It takes a long time in our sins to, to go there. Now, sometimes it does happen really quickly, and that's probably a blessing to people. But we need to realize and see people in their sins and, and reflect on that, that we don't... We live by that adage of, well, when they get to the bottom of the barrel, then they'll then they'll finally repent. But that doesn't need to be our mindset. Instead, it needs to be that God doesn't want that for us. We don't want to get to this point in life. I mean, this is disgusting. Yeah. You know, I've heard people uh, ask the question, if uh, God dealt with lying with everyone the way he dealt with uh, Ananias and Sapphira, what would happen? Of course, everybody says, nobody be here. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we'd stop lying. I don't think anybody would lie. If you knew everybody who ever told a lie was killed instantly, I bet you would just never lie. You know, but, but it's not instant. And so somehow, even though theoretically we believe in the Lord, somehow we think it's not going to really happen. I think that's a good point. <laughs> yes, thank you. I just want to point out, like, they're not even just eating strangers. Flesh and blood, their loved ones, like the people that they gave birth to, and like, um, like motherly love that's very strong, but they're like actually eating their own children. I know, yeah, that's about as incredibly, you know, wicked as you could get. Just totally against all natural affection and instincts. Seth, uh, when you talk to someone about how God is willing to punish, how God is uh, is a jealous God. Uh, one of the most ironic statements that, that I've heard so many times is, well, that's not the God I serve. They, they're admitting that they serve idols. They, they're, that they're serving a made-up God, and this is going to be their outcome. And how sad it really is. That's a great point. Yeah. Fred, back to Megan's comment. Um, these parents were probably the same parents who were at one point putting their kids over God. And now this is not yeah, good point. Matt. Does this have anything, can this correlate to uh, the Babylonian activity or captivity that Jeremiah speaks of? Sure. I mean, I think that would be one illustration of this occurring, especially the idea of the exile and the idea of the besieging of the city and so forth. Yeah. Yes. Um, I like how back in verse 52 it says, Israel mentions again the land which God is going to give to them. 
and it's just a reminder that he is going to fulfill his promise, but there is still more that they have to do. Yes. Yep. Anything else? Yes. Um, Mark. It's kind of strange to me that we kind of can see these curses today, and that people kind of eat their young, as in you know, abortions, or eat their afterbirth. I don't know if many people want to hear that, but it's true, people eat the placenta. And it's just weird that we see these curses all around us already. Well, certainly God continues to punish sin and uh, sometimes punishes us with even a hardened heart to do things that are really outrageous. I mean, they seem outrageous to us, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. People act against their natural affection. Jill? Well, I, I mean, like, it's, uh, it's, I was kind of going to build on something she said. It's less and less is making our society blush or have any kind of shame. And it just kind of, this kind of reinforces, it's, it's kind of scary how similar this is to like, you know, like, we're not only like eating our young, we're sexualizing our young and all this different stuff, and just, just doing awful stuff that should make us ashamed, it should bring us shame, but it's, it's not bringing society shame, and it just kind of um, makes, it should make us realize how important it is to, to do our duty and, and to spread the word and, and to really, really help people because they do need help. Yeah, we need to be sensitive toward God and what he says. 58 to 68. Now do not carefully observe all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues, great and prolonged plagues, and serious and prolonged sicknesses. Moreover, he will bring back on you all the diseases of Egypt, of which you are afraid, and they shall cling to you. Also, every sickness and every plague, which is not written in this book of the law, which will the Lord bring upon you until you are destroyed. You shall be left few in number, whereas you are the stars of the heaven in multitude, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then shall be that just as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to nothing, and you shall be plucked off from the land which you go to possess. Then the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, from one, end of, from one end of the earth to the other, and there you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among these nation, nations you shall find no rest, nor shall the sole of your foot have a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night, and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, Oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, Oh, that it were morning, because of the fear which terrifies your heart, and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships, and by the way of which I say to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. So, if you don't obey, terrible plagues, the, the diseases of Egypt, which I think he re- is referring to the plagues, they'll cling to you every sickness and every plague uh, of any kind the Lord will bring upon you. You'll be as few in number as, as possible. You were as numerous as the stars, but you didn't obey God. God will turn and delight to destroy you just like He delighted to multiply you before. He'll scatter you to places where you can serve other gods, to those nations where you will find no rest. Uh, every terrible thing, it, it will be basically a return to Egypt. It will be as if 
no Red Sea had been crossed. It would be as if no exodus had occurred. Um, having rejected the service of God, they would offer themselves for sale to their enemies as slaves, but there would be no buyer. Isn't that an incredible thing? Nobody even wants them as slaves. What a, what a horrible situation. All of these terrible consequences of having rejected the Lord, terrible consequences of, of not obeying God, these are the curses that he would break. You must say God gave them fair warning. Comments and thoughts? Yes. When you reject the Lord, the Lord will give you what you want, uh, life without God. Uh, the atheist who, uh, who dies gets exactly what he wanted, existence without God. Yes. And that's a terrible thing. Good point. Yeah. Without the Lord is just horrible. Okay. In chapter 29, he moves on to kind of the terms of the covenant with his people, um, verses 1 through 9. These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded to Moses to make with the people of Israel in land Moab, besides the covenant that he made with them before him. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, the great trials that your, uh, that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or hear, ears to hear. I, I have led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you, and your sandals have not worn out on, off your feet. You have not eaten bread, and you have not drunk wine or strong drink, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And when you came to this place, Sihon the king of Heshbon and Og the king of Bashan came out against us to battle, and we defeated them. We took their land and gave it for an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of the Massonites. Manassonites. Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do. Okay, so do what I tell you. You have seen all I've done. They need to go back and think about the God that they are serving. Think about what he did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, all the land. Think about God's provision for them in the wilderness. Think about how he's already conquered for them the powerful kings of Sihon and Og. How he took the land and uh, gave it as an inheritance to these two and a half tribes. We're talking about this Transjordanian land that they've already conquered. God had done so many things, but what's the problem with this people? Verse 4, Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. He, he says, you have seen, verse 2, but you have no eyes to see, verse 4. They, they, they've observed this. It's been there. That, that God did it before their eyes, and yet they've not perceived it. They didn't have an open heart. They didn't really understand and know the Lord and recognize His greatness, even though He'd done all these things. That's our problem. God does many things. We see them. We see them in the Word. We see them in our lives. You know, we look back to our great exodus out of sin, brought about by the great redemption in Jesus, our Passover lamb. 
We see how God is leading us through the wilderness and providing for us in so many ways. But do we see it? Do we hear it? Do we have a heart to receive it and to therefore respond to the words of the Lord? That, that's the question for us. You know, we need to really uh, appreciate what God has done. You know, we, 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 we go through a lot of acts to try to do that. We read the Bible a lot. We pray a lot. You know, we go through the Lord's Supper every week. We sing these songs. But, but it's so easy for us never to see it, never to hear it, never to take it into us. Intellectually, we know it, but we don't let it affect us with the kind of power that it should. So Moses is reminding them again and reviewing the things God has done, hoping they'll see it this time. Comments and questions? Yes? Uh, isn't that the same thing that uh, Jesus went through with the apostles? I mean, three times he told them what was going to happen to them. None of them seemed to believe, even though they saw his miracles. Yes. So it's not just an Old Testament to problems. Yeah. Seth. Sounds like the men in Second uh, Timothy three, the those who hold the form of godliness but deny its power, and always learn but are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Yes. Good point. Other thoughts. Yes. Uh, Galatians six. Our mind is very powerful deceiver, and we're our own enemy often. Yeah, you're right. Uh, it's, it's all our mind and our unwillingness to uh, take in what the Lord has provided. Kelly. I can't remember the verse, but there's a verse in here that says they follow idols that don't see, that don't hear, that don't smell. I heard someone once say they just became what they worship. Exactly. Very good. And you see that in several passages in the Old Testament. Yes. Um, 10 to 15. All of you stand today before the Lord your God, your leaders, and your tribes, and your elders, and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the stranger who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, and into his oath, which the Lord your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you. Just as he had spoken to you, and just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today, before the Lord our God, as well as him who is not with us here today. Okay, now look at the group of people that he speaks to in 10 and 11. I believe this was the longest catalog of participants in the Old Testament. This covenant is for all. There's no elitism about it. This is everyone is making this covenant with the Lord, taking this oath. And what was the other word he keeps emphasizing here? Today. 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 We've seen that already. But think about what that's saying. Every new generation must assume the responsibility of keeping the covenant, must, must make that commitment to God. Uh, the, the pledge and commitment of our parents is not sufficient for our generation. That is such a dangerous thing. I'm talking to a lot of people whose parents are Christians, praise God. 
but it's so easy for us just to sort of try to, to live on the steam of our parents. You know, well, I had good parents, and that's what they believed, and so we just kind of follow the family tradition. You remember the uh, Ephesians that left their first law. It seems to me like their service to God sort of became mechanical, kind of an inheritance service, not a personal commitment that they made. It's necessary for every one of us to come to have faith and commitment to the Lord because of our determination and our faith and our tie to God. This is not just I'm doing what my family tells me to do. It's not just about I don't want to shame the family name. I don't want to make my parents upset with me. It needs to be my personal commitment to God. And, and without that, we're really, we don't have the kind of commitment that will pull us through in difficult times. And so Moses is challenging this second generation. Today, with you, make this commitment. Be determined to follow out this covenant because they believe, because they have seen, and because their heart has been touched by what God has done. Comment. <coughs> All right, 16 to uh, 21. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt, and how we came to the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, you have seen their abominations and their idols of wood, stone, silver, and gold, which they, which, which they had with them. Let there be among you a man or a woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from Yahweh your God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Lest there shall be among you a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. And it shall be when he hears the words of this curse that he will boast, saying, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. Yahweh shall never be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of Yahweh and his jealousy will burn against that man, and every curse which is written in this book will rest on him, and Yahweh will blot out his name from under heaven. Then Yahweh will single him out for adversity from all the tribes of Israel, according to all the curses of the covenant which are written in this book of the law. So, he's saying that they themselves have seen the idolatry of Egypt. Egypt's were, Egyptians were idolaters. They've already experienced that. And they've already seen what the Lord does to nations that worship idols. So they must personally determine to serve God. He says in verse 18, so that there will not be among you a man or woman or family or tribe. This is a personal responsibility. Each individual among them must commit to serving the Lord and not other gods. And the danger would be a man who's rebellious and arrogantly thinks that there will be no consequences. This man in verse 19, I have peace, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart in order to destroy the watered land with the dry. There are people who smugly think that they can do anything they want to and they'll still be unconditionally blessed by God. And those people, he says in the end of verse 18, are a root bearing poisonous fruit and wormwood. The poison of a man who arrogantly thinks he can defy God and still be blessed ruins the whole nation. 
the acts of these individuals can uh, damage the entire nation. And so they must be rooted out. God will never be willing to forgive him. His anger will bring every curse upon him. And uh, he will blot out his name under heaven, what God said he'd do to the Amalekites in 2519. So he's emphasizing again the responsibility of faithfulness to God and never thinking that we'll be fine even though we don't serve God faithfully. Thoughts or comments? Yes. The point is that these people who don't do well corrupt the others. They badly influence them and cause them, therefore, to be cursed. Yeah. Um, you, you see so much of these warnings. I, I, I think it's easy to get tired of You know, and kind of think that, well, you know, I've heard that. And uh, I want to hear something more positive. Let's, let's have some encouraging things. And there are encouraging things in the Bible. And there are positive things. And there's certainly a lot of emphasis on the grace and love and mercy of God. But the thing that, that we want is kind of uh, skew God the way we want him to be. And so we want to kind of drop some things out of the Bible and focus more on other things. And we can't do that. If God thought this much warning was needed, then it's needed and we need to listen. And, uh, you know, we may want to just feel good. So we'd like a God that only presents that side. But we need these warnings or he would not have given them to us. It's one reason why we need to really be careful to study everything in the Bible. Try to have a balance of studying all that the scriptures teach. Because if we don't, we're tempted to leave out the things that are less pleasant to us that we need. Yeah. It's helpful to read and study and find things about our God that we might not be fond of immediately. Because that's what Evan said. We didn't make up this God. This God is something outside of our preferences. And, and that helps us be more confident that this is just our imagination. Good point. I agree. Yes. I think it's important to point out that this is the second getting of the law. And the first generation had not done what God wanted them to do. And God is telling them this law. And we see later that they still fail, even after all of God's warnings. And that we need to look to that, that when we read this, that we apply that to our own lives, that we do not do that, that we keep the faith in hand. Amen. John. I keep thinking about the rich man as he's bargaining for a drop of water. And obviously he doesn't like what he's doing, but he wants word to be sent back to his family. And he's told that they have this. And he neglected it. He didn't hear it. And probably his family didn't either. And here we are right here, hearing the second time all these warnings. And yet it was not needed. Good point. It's too bad. It is. It really is. And those who are suffering the punishment wish we would listen. And we can do the same thing. That's exactly. Good point. Very good point. <laughs> I mean, we've been saying that they're not really understanding all the points. And I keep thinking about verse 4, that the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive or eyes to see or ears to hear into this day. And I thought about an example of Lydia in Acts 16 where it says the Lord opened her heart and so she received the gospel and obeyed the gospel and I don't really know how to articulate this question but like how much responsibility does God have versus our responsibility in understanding because it seems like God is 
feel like God is credited with not allowing them to perceive the things that he's telling them to do. So, like, I mean, how does that translate to today? I mean, do we kind of not blame God, but credit him with the responsibility for why somebody just doesn't see or obey the gospel? Yeah, you know, God's hardening activity seems always, as far as I can see, to be a punishment for man's stubbornness and rebelliousness. You never see God, as far as I know, just choosing to harden someone who is who would otherwise be open and eager to listen. God hardens people to make an example out of stubborn people who didn't want to obey, like a Pharaoh. And uh, all the admonitions that he's giving here are with an effort to try to open up their eyes and soften their heart. And so if they refuse to do that, then God hardens them. But it's after he's made many attempts to soften them, and they've refused that. So I don't, I don't, as far as I can see, there's not a time when God would harden someone who, who has a soft heart, or he blinds someone who has open eyes. It's people who blinded themselves that he, he strikes with an even deeper blindness so that he can do what he did with Pharaoh. You know, set him up to show his glory and make a greater example out of his fall. That, that's what I would say about that, Brian. In uh, Mark the 13th, the Pharisees are trying to test Jesus on healing on the Sabbath so they can have a accusation against him. And I like how he phrases it in verse 5. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. I mean, it's that dichotomy there that he is, to your point, he, these are his people, he loves them, and he's angry at them, but he's also grieved at the same time. Yeah. Excellent uh, passage, and that's exactly right. <laughs> Good thoughts, good questions. Really helpful to have these discussions. I hear that from a lot of you as I'm talking to you. It's so good to listen to each other. I know it's a little hard to hear each other. Always try to speak as loud as you can, and uh, especially when you're reading and things like that. But I think it's really helpful to listen to different people's perspectives, get different people's questions. We didn't have all the answers. <laughs> I sure don't have all the answers. And I, I'm quite aware of that. I wish I had more. But it's still helpful to think. Even if we don't know the answer, it's good to be challenged and uh, to hear different perspectives. There's a lot to meditate on here. And as you're seeing, have we exhausted Deuteronomy? We just scratched the surface. We're just, just kind of giving an introduction for us to keep thinking and studying and meditating. You know, the awesome thing about the Scriptures is and it's in, it is an inexhaustible treasure, an inexhaustible mind. We have just so much to learn from and to grow in in the Scriptures. And uh, so we'll never, ever uh, get to the bottom of it or, or, or really uh, understand it fully, but, but it, it, it helps us, it strengthens us, and uh, what a blessing that we can uh, be together uh, here and, and uh, study these things. Other comments or thoughts before we close? All right, we're going to take a break for... Uh,